You know, I've been praying ever since I had my minor health incident in Ukraine, uh, which had a little bit of damage, uh, not terrible. And I've been asking the Lord to fix it, to remove it, so that one time when I get the EKG, he's going to say, you've never had a heart attack. And so I believe today was that day. I'm excited about that. And as I was getting ready for this message, I remember my first time speaking was in the old sanctuary. It was the three minutes that lasted 14 hours, it felt like. It was very brief, probably had nothing to it. And, uh, and then as I was getting ready for today, I was thinking of the work of grace in my life over the last 30 plus years that have slowly, as I've cooperated and resisted, transformed me into who he created me to be. And then I got to thinking that that same grace is at work in you, transforming you into what he created you to be. And that a year from now, we will all be closer to that and closer to him. And I don't know about you, but all during worship this morning, it felt more like majesty. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's King. But he's all of those things, and he's just majestic, and he's so loving, and there's absolutely nothing I can do to get him to love me more, and there's nothing I can do to get him to love me less. And once we get a hold of that, we become secure, and we're able to deal with the things that he shows us without any kind of worry about recourse, or uh, I think one of the lines in there was a billion do-overs, or, you know, I'm sure I'm pushing the limits. But uh, the nice thing is it has nothing at all to do with my value to him. He gets frustrated, I'm sure, at times, and, but it doesn't change anything. And that majestic, loving father is constantly being and doing good for you, even when you don't want it. And that's even the more bizarre thing to me, because I'm so uh, situational. If you treat me nice, I'll be nice to you. And he's just like, no, I can't be anything but love. That's how I am. That's who I am. And I've got that seed in you, which we're going to develop, so that you can one day be nothing but love, no matter what's happening. <laughs> Here I am, Lord, send me. <laughs> so as we... Uh, What's the weather? <laughs> Don't worry, it's okay. <laughs> Don't worry, there's only five cameras on that row. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'm digressing quickly. Um, as we approach 2020, and I know we're all thinking about the next year, we're thinking about, you know, what is God going to do next year? What's it going to be like? Is he going to give me a word? Or, or is an older word that I've had going to maybe begin to come to pass? Because some of us are carrying words that we've had a long, long time that we haven't seen. And um, I, I guess today what we're going to do is we're going to go through the story of Abraham a little bit and point out some things. I guess I want to ask first is, what has God spoken to you? 
What is it you're believing for? What is it he said that you still haven't seen in your life activated or you haven't seen the growth in an area that you thought you would or somebody gave you a prophetic word that you assumed would just happen by osmosis and it hasn't? Um, not that, please don't feel guilty. I'm just saying, let's, let's get back to hearing and looking at what God has said so that we can begin to believe him for what's coming, whether it's nationally or individually in your family or whatever. So let's start with the story of Abram. It's in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. You're all familiar with this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And verse 4 tells us that he was 75 years old when God spoke this to him. And I'm making the assumption, yeah, Art's like, <laughs> yeah, at first I was thinking, I don't want him to wait till I'm 75. And then I thought, well, it'd be nice to have that opportunity at 75. So I'm kind of torn. Uh, so he was 75. And then this wasn't an easy move. This was a complete move. He, he completely severed his ties and took everything. And they had so much stuff that in uh, verses, or chapter 13, 2 through 6, it says, Abraham was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And now the Lord, the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. So there is, this isn't just like packing two suitcases and going to the airport. This is taking everything, so much stuff that when they got to where they were going together, there wasn't enough room for both of them. It's major. It was all of his livestock. I can't imagine. I have trouble traveling with a team. I can't imagine traveling with enough livestock that I can't fit him in the valley with my brother. <coughs> um, sorry, lost my place. <laughs> so it wasn't an easy move. And I wanted to look at when Abraham, uh, when God spoke to Abraham, it must have been something that happened fairly regularly. Because doesn't, he doesn't seem to be too worked up about it. It just says God spoke to him, and this is what he said, and then Abraham did it. So there must have been a, a relationship there. And I realized that was Old Testament, and it's all external. But now in the New Testament, it's now internal. The Holy Spirit's in you and can speak to you whatever God wants to say. <laughs> so I wanted to look at some ways that God speaks to us first. Uh, just to get in, so that you're convinced that he does. Of course, primarily... Through this, uh, we've all done it, hopefully. If not, you need to read your Bible more. But when you're reading, you'll just read through a passage, and all of a sudden, it's like a two-by-four hits you in the forehead with one verse. And it's God speaking to you about something, usually, or for me it is. Or maybe it feels like a two-by-four for me, and for you it's a tap on the shoulder. <coughs> but it, it's, I don't believe this is the only way he talks. It seems to be the primary way he talks because it's the only thing that's really trustworthy is his word. <coughs> Excuse me. 
He also speaks to us through his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and whom also he made the universe, with whom also he made the universe. So the son is speaking to you as well. Thirdly, he speaks through creation. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So you can clearly see him when you're looking at trees, you look at the ocean. Have you ever come up on a mountain scene and it takes your breath away? Like you come around the bend and, and the expanse just opens up and you're just like, wow. Okay. That's connecting with the part of the kingdom that's in your heart that recognizes the splendor of what he's done and the beauty of the creation that he spreads out before us every day. The problem is that we don't always pay attention. And when I lived in Kiev, we used to, my office was across the Dnieper River uh, to a place called the Lavra, which, Lavra, which was a, uh, an old monastery. And it was beautiful, gold tops, and there were some old saints that were buried in there. You could go look at them, the, you know, they had glass tops. They were about this big, the people, I don't know. They were little. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> and these old grandmas would come and put candles on it and look down at them. And so, uh, but anyway, it was, it was amazing. But I noticed after several months, I didn't notice it. And uh, a teacher came from Switzerland, and we were talking. And, and I said, what's it like to get up every morning and look, you know, at the mountains? He said, you know... I don't see him anymore. And he said, what's it like to look at the lavra? I said, I don't notice it anymore. Because we, we dull that part of God's voice, that part that opens up his creation, because he, he is more than the creation. So the beauty and the splendor of what you see is a, just a tiny piece of who he really is. And the majesty that we saw this morning is that overwhelming presence that just leaves you speechless. There's nothing really you can say. And so when you, whenever you have that breathtaking view, you're connecting with something that God's put in your heart, something of the kingdom. It's all part of the kingdom. It's not just people. All of creation is part of the kingdom. And he's coming to redeem everything, not just us. All right, fourth way is he speaks through others. Sometimes somebody will say something completely un disconnected to what you think you're talking about and the Holy Spirit will emphasize it and will reinforce it and will give you something that you can use for whatever is going on in your life. But people are a key part and your only problem with people is that sometimes we're not teachable. If I don't like the package, I don't think they're educated enough, I don't think they're whatever enough, I minimize God's voice in my life and he most often will put his words in a package I don't like and then make me dig for it. Because he seldom worries about how long it takes. He's just not moving on until you get it. And so what should take, like the Israelites, what should take a few weeks took 40 years. In my life, what should have taken 10 minutes takes three weeks. 
and probably for you too. But people hold the key sometimes to what God's trying to tell you. Uh, fifth way is through worship, through music. Like we had the word of uh, knowledge this morning and healing. And often when we're having worship, or I'm in a corporate group like this, during the music, God will speak to me about something I've been thinking about, either about him or, uh, you know, some, something about scripture, something about his character or nature. He'll just speak it, and it'll tie things together that maybe I haven't been able to do. And so a lot of times through music, and then lastly through his spirit, John fourteen seventeen, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the spirit of, through his, the spirit, you can hear the voice of God. And sometimes it'll be through dreams, like we hear a lot of stories of Muslims coming to the Lord through dreams. It can be uh, visions. It can be any number of ways. He's not limited Sometimes for me, it's just a random thought that runs through my head at a most awkward moment. And it's completely unrelated. And usually if that happens, I usually pay attention now. I didn't always. I used to think it was, I was hungry or, you know. But now I realize it's God's finally gotten through and can catch me off guard, you know, and then tell me what he needs to tell me. But the thing is, we desire to hear. Sometimes we pray specifically for an answer. Sometimes we pray for a word. Sometimes we want to know, okay, in 2020, what's coming? How are we going to get there? Or you told me something in 1995. When is that happening? Or why isn't it happening? And so now Abram has the word of the Lord, and he has obeyed. Okay, he's, he's moved. And he also has a promise. God said, move, and this is the promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And there's several things now, that happen now, between now and the birth of Isaac, that I think are relevant for us in this process of having a, a, a dream, a vision, a prophetic word, whatever it is God has spoken to you, whatever's out there, because you have to have something bitter than, bigger than you to live for. Yeah. Because without that, you have nothing to sustain you when it goes bad. You know, your emotional tank kind of goes up and down based on the next thing. <clears throat> so at, at least I'm going to try to make a connection here for some things. Uh, the first one, the area where I see that there's a problem, is uh, our memory. And, uh, or familiarity. Something that's common. Something I'm comfortable with. In Genesis 13, 10, it says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor. They had just come out of Egypt. And he's standing there looking, and he sees something that looks familiar, and he knows it means that the land is rich, the water is good, and I'm going to go there. And Sodom and Gomorrah was there. And they didn't become evil overnight. They were already evil. And he ignored that to go down and get the good valley. And Abram was very open about it. He said, if you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. 
and let him choose. And it says that he chose the valley and took his family and his possessions down into there and just stopped right outside of Sodom and Gomorrah <coughs> because he was familiar with what he had seen. There are things God has brought you out of that are familiar and can be a very, very powerful deterrent to him moving you to the next thing if they keep getting your attention. Because we, we're, we're called really to die daily. I should leave here today. Now, I mean, I'm, he's not flighty. Seth said he was dope on his shirt. So he's not going to change his mind every other day. He's telling you which way to go. He's not going to give you, tell you one day to jump this way and the next day to jump that way. It's going to be a process of getting towards where he's taking you. <coughs> and Lot, because it was familiar, I think, and this is what happens to me, when I run into something familiar, I block everything outside of the familiar because this is familiar. I know this. And I ran into it. Uh, when I was living overseas, you know, we were doing mission work, and first time you go into a country, you're totally clueless. You're at the mercy of everything and everybody, and it's an adventure, and you stay really, really close to the Lord. Not because you're necessarily virtuous, but you're scared to death. So there's only one who can always save you, and that's him. So it's better to put all your marbles in that cup. Uh, and so hearing... When that happens, when you draw close, hearing his voice gets much easier because you're always with him. And then once everything gets normal, you begin to, to pull away. And I even noticed it in ministry is I would, I would stop looking outside of what I understood. In other words, I'd gotten good in this lane. There's no sense to look over here. And I'm for a long time, he would try to say no see because everything with God is comprehensive it's not it's not this lane it's everything it's not those people it's everybody and so he's always going to be pushing the boundaries why to make you look like a great minister no it's to get you to quit focusing on the familiar so that he can do with you what he wants to do because there are days coming and there probably will be sooner than we like where we don't have time to debate You've got to move. And he wants to get us to the place that everything that's familiar is no more secure than the unfamiliar as far as his presence. It doesn't matter whether I understand it or not, whether I'm used to it or not. I have to quit looking in my lane only. And I can do it here. This is a very comfortable place to be a good minister. But it may not be what God wants me to do forever. I'm, I'm not... I'm not resigning. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I am open to anything. Anytime. And as long as I do that, I won't miss him. I don't have to worry, did I miss him? I can only miss him when I'm not listening. And I only minimize my listening when I stay in my familiar lane. Even though it's comfortable. And it looks good. It looks good, because you guys think I'm a nice guy and everything, but you don't see me at night. You don't see me in the mornings. You don't see me when I don't shower for two or three days. Usually I'm wearing a hat when I don't shower, just so you know. 
And it's not because we're bad. It's, it, we, I've, this has been a hard thing for me to get over, is that I cannot do anything that will make God love me less. When I can get that, everything is an adventure. And my value and my worth don't go up and down based on what did I do yesterday. They don't change. I am invaluable to me in the universe. Maybe not you. But you know what I'm saying. My value doesn't go up and down. <clears throat> I used to think it did. I was raised that way, and so were a lot of you. Not that it's, I was raised badly. It's just in our culture, it's performance-based. And what hinders performance? Fear of man, anxiety. What are they going to see? So what do we do? We learn to close off areas of our life so that you can't get in there. And you know what? Well, that's what we take to God. We just take to him the pieces that we show people. And then wonder why we never get free. Because we haven't really dealt with the issue that's causing the bondage. That's why you're not free. It's not because he's withholding anything from you. <clears throat> so how about you? Are you trying to hear God inside the parameters that you've set? Or have you heard from him and decided there was no way to do it? And put the boundaries up. And said, I can't. I'm, I didn't hear false prophet whatever terminology you want to use. And I think we need to ask ourselves that. Abram was open to anything. Anybody that would take everything he owns and march it down through wherever that was towards Canaan, he's open to anything. And we need to be that way. Because we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And he went to Canaan, and God showed him the land. Genesis 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated, so you got, it appears that Lot looked down into the valley, so I'm assuming they were up on a, some kind of a hill or a plateau because God in uh, verses 14 to 17 says, uh, lift your eyes now and look at the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. Well, you can't do all four of those unless you're standing on a peak. Otherwise, you're looking into the, the hill. So he must have been at a high place. And I, I looked it up. The highest place in Canaan is about 8,500 feet. Unless you read Wikipedia, and then there's varying. All the way up to 10,000, I think. But from 9,000 feet, you can see about 110 miles if there's nothing obstructing your view because of the curve of the earth and all. And so when God tells him, stand here and look north, south, east, west, I'm going to give you all of that, that actually works out close to the size of Israel now, which is pretty interesting. I don't know if it's true or, you know, I'll be done here in 30 minutes and you'll have to catch me to make me prove it. But I thought it was fascinating that if that's true, and God took him to that point and said, now look around. This is going to be your land. This is where your descendants are coming from. That had to be pretty overwhelming for him. And then the promise gets more specific. First, he was going to be a great nation. And now his descendants will be like dust. For all the land which you see, I will give you. 
and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So now the promise has gotten more specific. Abram's been shown what he gets. He's been told what's coming. We know that Abram was 75 when he first left. By chapter 15, there's no heir. Except Eliezer, I'm not sure. I think that's how you pronounce it, of Damascus, who was the oldest servant in his house. So now, after going through these monumental encounters with God, Abram's starting to get a little bit nervous. By chapter 15, he's like, there's no heir. Verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I, I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring, accusation. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars. And if you are able to number number them, and he said, To him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. All right, so it's been a while, probably six, seven years at this point. Abram's getting nervous. He's got to be in his early 80s, at least. And he accuses God, basically, is what he does. But you'll notice God doesn't get angry with him. He says, come back outside, look up at the stars, And it says, Abram believed him, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Faith is nothing more than considering him faithful. It's not something I conjure up based on what he has said. It's something that comes to pass as I watch him do what he said. And I begin to stand on it and believe him for the next thing he says. So when we had prayer here, I know there was probably several people here who have been praying for their heart to be well. And God's moving. And he's going to fix it. And he's going to make it right. Because he's that kind of a God. And faith, what's happened, and what's happening for me, is as I've been going through this process, I have a a great doctor, but he likes to see me way too much. He, He wants me to come every two months. And he's a dear man. I love him to death. Uh, but what's been happening over time is I go get checked out. He said, you're doing great. He said, you can still. He said, now, if I'm dead, you can tell the doctor you did have a heart attack. I'm like, okay. And then every time, even last week, you're doing good. Everything's fine. But my faith is building because I have this inkling in me that one day I'm going to have an EKG that looks like I haven't had a heart attack. And I have history for that because when I got saved, I used to smoke cigarettes because I don't know why. I think I started because I had a cold and somebody had a menthol cigarette and it cleared my nose. 
I'm, I'm serious. You know. And it's amazing because it's the next morning you wake up, you know what you want? A cigarette. That is a very addictive mess. So anyway, I get, I get saved, I get healed and delivered from that. I go, I used to work at a place where we had to get physicals twice a year uh, because we worked with radioactive materials and so your blood, they would always monitor your blood to make sure it wasn't, wasn't changing. <clears throat> and so uh, I went in to get my physical and he's checking my lungs. He goes, man, it's sure good to hear a young man's lungs who's never smoked. And I didn't just play. I smoked. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. And back then it was like 30 cents a pack. <laughs> that made a big difference too. Uh, so that has been built in me. I, I've seen him do it before, and now I'm going to see him do it again. Yes. This time it's a little more serious. So faith is nothing than when God speaks to you, he is relying on your history of what he has already said to carry you to what he wants to do. It's like he built your faith when he did it for you last time. Now he's going to tell you something that's going to build your faith for the next time. And he keeps doing that because one day he wants me to never, ever question him again. He just wants me to believe him. How much better can he be to me to get me to quit questioning him? and quit challenging him, and quit accusing him when it didn't come out the way I thought it should come out. Because every time it hasn't, it's been better than I could have imagined. And just like it has for you, if you're honest. And we spend so much time focusing on the things that we don't get or we don't hear that we, we begin to uh, damage our faith because we're not focusing on the things that he did do. So that maybe we can believe for those things that haven't happened yet. There's more than just him acting in the universe. There's demons, there's angels, there's people, there's you. Can you imagine working with all that mess and trying to get your plan done? And yet he does it in kindness and gentleness and love. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. That's what he wants. He wants to believe you or wants you to believe him. He doesn't believe you anyway. Okay, the second one that uh, hinders us, oh gosh, sorry, is we don't wait well. We wait for a little bit, and then like Abram, we're like, uh, I don't have an heir. It's a great plan. You forgot the kid. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. They, they did it back then in, you know, proper English. We just say, hey, you forgot the kid. Uh, and we know he was, uh, in chapter 16, He's now 85, so it's been 10 years. He left, took everything, it's been 10 years, and he has, still has no heir. And it's been 10 years since he had the beginning of the vision, and it's been repeated to him twice and expanded. A little more detail, like, hang in there. We're going to get there. And now he's nervous again. And the only thing that's changed for Abram is the location. His life is the same as it was. And time is ticking. And we have to do something. And you know the story. 
So I want to show you some license plates. God is my co-pilot. That's awesome, isn't it? Work for God. The retirement benefits are great. Stop using my name to justify your bad decisions, God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And you know what the main theme of all of those is? You. It's not got anything to do with him. That should say God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And if God's your co-pilot, you're about to wreck. <laughs> Just telling you, it's not going to work out well. Okay, and what, what we do is we, <clears throat> we laugh at these things, and they are funny. And there's some really funny ones out there that we can't show. <clears throat> and I don't suggest you waste time looking at them. But when you run into them, they are funny. Uh, and they're not bad. They're, they're, they're just not great. But what happens is when you, when you feed yourself this, you begin to act like Abram. Where's my kid? Don't you know we're equal in this? I'm also as good as you, God. That's why you're the co-pilot and I'm the pilot. And we train ourselves to sabotage our own words from him. Because as soon as you get over here, you're in pride, and I can guarantee you he will not move for your own good when you're proud. He just will not. James says he resists the proud. Pride is what got us all this mess that we have now. Everything you see that's bad came from pride. And there's no way he's going to honor your pride and do what he said he's going to do in your life until you get out of the middle and just be done with it. You have zero to offer. He just wants you. And that's, a, that's a, a great place to be. It's so freeing. I mean, how can you screw up nothing? If you're nothing, you can't screw that up. Eugene Peterson says this, Life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not, but whether to worship or compete with him. And so now Hagar has Ishmael. And we know in the scripture that Ishmael is going to be a rascal. God even tells her, 16, chapter 16 of Genesis 11 and 12, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So now we have Ishmael on the scene, and we know that he has lived up to his name ever since he got here. Side note, I don't think that Isaac could have been born to anybody but Sarai, or Sarah. And my reasoning for that is, when a, when a man and wife are married, the scripture says in Genesis 2 that they, they, the husband leaves his mother and father and joins his wife and the two become one flesh. So when... When God looks at Lori and I, he sees one. When he gave the promise to Abraham, it was for both of them. Every promise you get includes your spouse. If it's the man, it includes the wife. If it's the wife, it includes the man. 
doesn't mean you have to participate in the ministry completely always together. But it means in every move that, towards what God has called you as a family to do, you do it together. And if you don't, you're asking for trouble. And if Lori, if I say, I think God said this, and she says, nope, I don't consider it anymore. She's my helpmate. And she's very, very seldom wrong when I'm about that. She's wrong about other things. <laughs> Not very often. But if she says yes, I pray more and make sure. You sure? But we do it together. So when Hagar went in with Abram, it could not fulfill the promise because the promise was not to Hagar. It was to Sarah. And God allowed Ishmael to live. And he actually blesses him later. It says, you'll be a father of many nations, and he is. So any word that, that comes to me includes my wife, or if it comes to, to her, it includes me. And sometimes what we think we should do is not what we should do, especially if it's gone from here to here. You've got to be together on it. If you're not together, you're missing a whole section of your anointing, actually. Because there's no reason for us both to be together if we're both the same. Sorry. There. So anyway, lastly, point three. God is awesome. It's never too late. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be perfect. The only one who was perfect got crucified. It's not a great option, really. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it, at least not today. So it's not about your perfection. God is awesome. We sang about it this morning. If you, if you missed this morning's worship message, it is God is really awesome, and he's really good, and he really loves us. And all we do is fall at his feet and worship him out of devotion, not duty. And we do what he says, whatever it means, whether it's cleaning a toilet, speaking, it doesn't matter. He's awesome. He's going to give me a word for 2020. And he's going to either attach it to an old one that I'm still carrying in my wallet, or he's going to give me a new one and show me what he wants me to do next. But he's never going to let me run. I cannot create Ishmael's on my way to the end of the promise because they, they live. God forbid he lets your Ishmael live. You will carry it. You get forgiven for sin, but the sin is out there, and the enemy will use it when he needs to. If he needs to discourage you, he'll remind you of it. If he needs to hurt you, he will remind somebody else of your sin. You, you're forgiven. It's not a question of that. It's a question of don't create an Ishmael that you're dragging around for the rest of your life. There's no need for that. It's deadly. And we see on a global scale how this panned out. And I think it was Pastor Carroll or Kevin or somebody who said Abraham was the father of three world religions because of this. There's confusion because of Ishmael that didn't have to be there. And so don't create them yourself. 
because it's not worth it. And in chapter 17, I'll make this quick, Abraham is now 99. When God comes to him again and restates the vision again and tells him what he's going to do, and it's been 25 years since he first spoke to him. Learn to wait. If God spoke it, he'll tell you when. If you go too fast, you've created an Ishmael, which means the people that you're working with don't have the grace to deal with what you're saying. If I'm trying to connect with somebody for ministry or life, and, and it's not time, I am putting on them things they can't carry. And they're going to get frustrated. And eventually it's going to just come apart. There's no grace there for it. That's why we have to go at his time, at his speed, when he says it. Abram does the same thing we did. He gets impatient. He won't wait. He, he starts looking like, well, there's no way this is going to work if we don't hurry. And yet at 99, God says, oh, yeah. And if you look at history, he lived another 76 years after that. And he was 100 when Isaac was born. God bless him. <laughs> That's old. <laughs> That's tough. I don't know how he did that. <clears throat> Put faith in what you know so that you can begin to believe what you see. Okay? Put your faith in what you've already experienced so that you can begin to believe for the things that you haven't seen yet. And he will move you towards that. It's the truth that sets you free. Not just from bondage. It sets you free from lies. It sets you free from presumptions. You know, baby Christians are never a problem. It's adolescent Christians that are the problem. They begin to reason everything. So they believe lies. That actually, when you believe a lie, you undermine your faith. And you undermine God's word from working in your life. Because it's untrue. If you believe a lie, it's untrue. God's word is true. Truth is not going to work with untruth. It's only going to work with truth. It can't do anything else. And the Holy Spirit is hovering over your life, waiting for you to make the right response. Just like he did when he hovered over the waters. He's just waiting. As soon as you make the right response, he'll come back. You'll get back on the plans and purposes of God. He can adjust time any way he needs to to get you back on track and in, in the right path. But I will say this. If you dawdle around too long, somebody else will have to do what you're supposed to be doing. He won't wait forever. But whenever you do decide and turn back towards him, he will empower you to do everything he's, he's showing you he wants to do. And if you run ahead, you create your own Ishmael. If you run behind... You create your own Ishmael. And it should always be exciting when God is moving and speaking. Always. Because he's that good. I mean, it, it, it's cocoon-like love. It protects you from everything. Nothing can get inside that protective cover unless you pull yourself out of it. So learn to wait. Get rid of your familiar spots that bring you comfort. And remember that he's always awesome and good. And if the musicians will come back up, I think what we'll do is if I could just have a bunch of altar workers up here, life group leaders, elders, whoever wants to come and pray.
And if, you've, if you find yourself like, oh, I've forgotten the word of the Lord over time. It's not, it's not current like it used to be. Just come up and pray with somebody. You need, it, it's so good to put a mark on a date that you say, you know what, this is the day I restarted where I was. If you've created an Ishmael, come and ask the Lord to remove it or to minimize its effect. I remember years ago, I, uh, Carol was taught, teaching, I think about, uh, this had to be mid-80s, uh, sowing and reaping. And I went to talk to him. I said, well, what, if, what if we haven't sown always the best seed? He goes, pray for crop failure. <laughs> so if you need to, come up and pray with somebody for crop failure. It's okay. <laughs> Sometimes crop failure is an awesome thing. Or if you just want to hear better. If you just want the Lord to reveal to you what keeps you from hearing. Maybe somebody will give you a word. Maybe they'll just pray with you and join in unison with you. God says where two or more of you are gathered, I'm there. He'll manifest himself. He'll give you breakthrough. And then just walk. It's not hard. There's no formula. Just hang out with him. And he will get you everywhere he designs you to go. I can promise you that. So let me pray.